This is Lords of Order, a DC Dr. Fate fan podcast. I'm your host, Ed Moore. If you want to leave comments, you can do so at the website bigtimenoise.com slash drfate. The Big Time Noise website is part of the Comic Book Noise family, which is part of the Deliberate Noise network. Lords of Order has Facebook and Google Plus pages, and the email address is thedrfatefanpodcast at gmail.com. This time out, episode 38, I'm looking at All-Star Comics, the first volume, issue 5, the June-July 1941 issue, specifically, of course, the Dr. Fate story. Now, the way that All-Star Comics is set up, uh, all of these heroes currently in the DC Universe get together in this book. There's a framing sequence at the beginning, there's a framing sequence at the end with everybody. And then the rest of the book are six to eight page one-person missions from each of the heroes. So um, with All-Star Comics, I'll look at the two framing sequences because they typically will contain uh, Dr. Fate, but they'll also set up the entire story. Talk about the Dr. Fate portion of the story and then the closing sequence. The other um, characters, Green Lantern, Hawkman, Adam, Our Man... Uh, those of you that are interested in those can look it up and read those particular stories. I just want to focus on Dr. Fate. Now, this particular book is, what, almost 75 years old, but it was reprinted in 1991 in All-Star Comics Archive Number 1 from D.C. So there's a, a quicker way to get it. And that was the only reprint that I could find for this particular story. So it's still rather limited as far as its availability. Now, we open up, of course, with the group getting together as they are wont to do for a meeting. But first, let me read this text piece at the beginning of this story, because this really sounds like something that you would hear in old-time radio uh, at the beginning of some crime fiction or something like that. Uh, The text piece gives the roll call, and then it says, Foes of crime, enemies of evil... To them, all wrongdoing is a menace to be overcome and stamped out as one would smash a poisonous reptile. Each of them is a hero in his own right, but when the Justice Society calls, they are all members sworn to uphold honor and justice. But, unknown to them, crime itself is organizing to fight back. Since the underworld has been defeated again and again, its thugs have decided to do something about it. Fear is a great weapon. It makes even a cornered rat strike back. Because the Justice Society has met with unprecedented success in hunting down criminals, the dregs of gangdom are being organized by a mastermind to break up the Justice Society and destroy its members. Wow. Okay. I'm juiced now. I want to see what the story is. The Justice Society Club Rooms. That's where the narrator tells us that we are. So everybody comes in, uh, two heroes per frame, talking about how uh, there just is nothing for them to do. They've beaten everybody, and anybody else is hesitant to do anything because they know they too will be caught. Uh, it's, it's affecting all of our heroes. Flash, Fate, Sandman, Adam, Spectre, Green Lantern, Hawkman, and Hourman are those that we see. 
Um, oddly enough, in this issue, Johnny Thunder was not in here, even though he's a member. And of course, we already know that Superman and Batman are members, but they're, you know, they have their own books, and so at this time, um, creators were a little hesitant to put them in this to, because they were afraid it would take away from their book. <laughs> Whereas nowadays, the big heroes, they try to put in as many books as they can to get all that money. Different philosophy back in the golden age. So we cut to a, a collection, a cadre, if you will, of criminals. And let, let me read the way this first guy talks here. He's a balding dude, and he's got a, a cigarette in his mouth lit. And he's telling uh, four of his other associates, each of them differently dressed and, and uh, wearing a different persona also. He says, I've called you here to talk about the gang of fancy-dressed guys what's been raising cane with our rackets. We've been laying low on account of them. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, so uh, there is the, the speaker for this group of men. Uh, and he is the direct representative, even though all of them are working for, Mr. X. He's our big bad in this issue. And uh, something curious occurs with him throughout the, the issue that I'll, I'll get into here in a minute. But they're meeting, uh, and they're talking about what they're going to do. And this gentleman, who I, I just uh, recited what he's saying, is telling them that Mr. X has a plan to take down the Justice Society. As they're speaking, a quaint little dude with uh, with a derby and an umbrella and gloves on comes in. He, he interrupts the meeting, comes in, asks the dude that's been speaking if he has a light. Well, seeing as he doesn't, he snatches his cigarette, lights the cigar that he has, and then gives him back his cigarette, tipping his bowler and leaving the room. The speaker dude here then goes into a thing uh, explaining what they're going to do but first the narrator tells us every time the name of Mr. X the leader of the racketeers is mentioned there is a respectful silence for 30 seconds and we see everyone reacting as you would here in the US at the uh, at a, a recital or a rendition of the national anthem hand over the heart hat over the heart, whatever, you know, show, showing the appropriate respect for Mr. X. They then get into it. Uh, this dude hands each of them their marching orders, and each of the thugs here is to take on directly one of the Justice Society members. Important to us, we see a darker-toned gentleman with a turban on named Magico has been given the mission of taking care of Dr. Fate. So they all head off to do their dirty work. The narrator tells us, well, fans, this is a fine how-do-you-do. An organized association of racketeers. Will they succeed in destroying the Justice Society of America? We shall see. I, I love the narrators in these books. Um, now, we, we start each of the individual missions, as it were. The Flash is first. Our man goes on his mission, Hawkman, and then we come to the Dr. Fate story. And we see, we're, we're told that the master of weird secrets of nature and possessor of magics known only to the ancient Egyptians and Chaldeans, Dr. Fate, 
returns home from the Justice Society meeting to find Inza waiting for him at the Tower of Fate, which is in Salem, uh, presumably Massachusetts. That's the only Salem I'm aware of. She tells Dr. Fate that a friend of hers, a Miss Vera Ross Cooper, has asked Inza to ask Dr. Fate for help because Miss Vera Ross Cooper has been attending seances given by the magician Magico, and he has been bleeding her of thousands of dollars every time she attends one of these seances. Now, I'm not sure what the problem is, because you don't have to go to the seances. And I I don't know what the problem is. If you want to do something like that, then you pay the price of whoever is handling it. I, I don't understand what the bad part is here, that this woman would ask someone with a connection to a superhero for their help, for the superhero's help. That's kind of uh, kind of weak to me. But, oh, okay. That's, that's cool. Dr. Fate is involved. Magico, we know, ah, from the opening framing sequence, that Magico drew Dr. Fate's name. So, here we go. He uh, walks through, he, he mystically opens one of the walls of his Tower of Fate. Again, it has no doors or windows, as, as we have been told before. Goes in, and he and Enza are discussing this uh, Vera Ross Cooper. Dr. Fate is kind of curious, too, you know, what, what all the connection is. Now, she asked you to ask me for help. Is that correct? You know, so he's he's making sure that that Enza is sticking to what her story is. And she does. So then we cut to Magico. Uh, he is starting a seance. We have an old lady here who... It doesn't tell us initially, but you can assume that this must be Miss Vera Ross Cooper. She's a very prim and proper-looking lady holding that thing that always reminds me of opera glasses. You know, reading glasses on the stick. She's She's got jewelry on. Very formal-looking woman with this. Some would almost say snooty, uh, if you were. That's That's the air she's giving off. Inza and a young man, Kent Nelson, enter after her, Magico's parlor, if you will. Introductions are made. Inza and Miss Vera Cooper whisper to each other, what's going on? Magico starts the seance. In the midst of this seance, blue suit dude in a tie with gloves and an umbrella and a bowler walks in. Same dude that interrupted the initial framing story, and if you read the whole issue, little dude that has appeared somewhere in each individual hero's adventures. And I'll go ahead and say now, he appears in the subsequent hero's adventures throughout the rest of the book prior to the end framing. So he has appeared in every section of the story, which probably should give you an indication as to who this character probably is. We'll find out at the very end. Uh, he apologizes. He must have uh, you know, entered the wrong place. And then he just walks back out, disappears, whatever. He's not there. He's there for two panels, and then he's not. Magico is kind of taken aback, but you know, kind, of, kind of pulls it together. Asking everyone to uh, resume, you know, their 
parts of the, the seance here that is about to happen. Off to the side, we see that between the slightly parted drapes, a gun reaches out, and Inza notices it and jumps in front of Kent and takes the shot intended to hit Kent. Kent instantly wraps her in his arms. In a cloud, he disappears, because, of course, he is the alter ego to Dr. Fate. Magico goes over to the curtain, grabs the guy out who attempted the shot, griping at him that this is a missed opportunity. He looks over to Vera and tells her, you know, uh, what, what happened? I thought you set this up appropriately. So we see that she was part of it, too, in asking Inza. Then we cut to Dr. Fate. Moving northward through the air, Dr. Fate holds a wounded Inza, and he takes her back to the tower. He says her breath is almost gone. A great magic will be needed to restore her full strength. And the narrator tells us he seeks resource in the ancient tomes of dead Atlantis. He revives Inza, heads off to uh, have a heart-to-heart with Magico. Uh, we cut to Magico's men, and we see them transporting big crates of uh, labeled Danger Dynamite. And, and they're all shoved in this portion of a room, and then curtains drawn to hide them, disguise them, you know, whatever. Must be the mansion that they initially went to, because Dr. Fate shows up, and as he enters the house, the... Leader Magico, using a, one of those cool plungers, ignites the dynamite, blowing up the house. The entire building is demolished, the narrator tells us. But Dr. Fate is unharmed in the midst of this tremendous force, and he sets out after Magico, commands him to halt, uh, using the powers at his behest. Magico is really surprised. I can't move. I'm powerless, he says. And Dr. Fate says, you think you're a magician? Rise into the air with me. I will show you what magic really is. And they go to some nether realm beneath the earth. Perhaps he just opens a portal and sinks into the earth kind of thing. A hellish portal with these great beasts. He's uh, trying to scare Magico straight, in essence. Well, it works, because Dr. Fate asks him if he's going to cause any more trouble, and because he says, no, I'm not going to, he leaves him alone. He doesn't take Magico to uh, to jail or anything like that. Now, a moment here earlier, we have the narrator tell us, in its own panel, how was Dr. Fate able to avoid being blown to atoms when the building in which he stood exploded? Because of the fact that he has learned the ultimate secret of the universe, how to emanate force energy from his own body. He uses the tremendous power stored within him to repel all forces that strike at him. This power renders him immortal. Cool. Dr. Fate heads back to the tower. Uh, as I said, checking on Inza. She comes out and says, I am well, Dr. Fate. Your magics have cured me. He said the magics aided only your body. It was your will to live that really pulled you through. Now where are we going, she asks, and he says, to search for this Mr. X who rules the rackets of America. So in each story, um, the heroes were not able to find any information about this Mr. X, no matter where they went, no matter who they spoke to, no information. 
So uh, we continue on through the issue. We have our man's story. We have the Adams story here. Spectre, Green Lantern. And then we all get back together again. Unable to find the slightest clue as to who Mr. X is, the members gather together, our narrator tells us. Flash, Hawkman, Adam in a panel. Nope, we didn't find anything. Flash speaking to Spectre and Dr. Fate as they appear. Nor I. Our Man and Sandman. Zip. Green Arrow, uh, Lantern, excuse me. Green Lantern, Hawkman, nothing. Now, as they're speaking, dude in the suit and tie, bowler, gloves, and umbrella appear again. And they start commenting, the heroes to each other, that, hey, you know, isn't that dude that was here or that was there or that did this? So each of them realized that they had seen this dude before. And they watch him and he walks up to the police station, which is where they have gathered. Apparently they didn't gather at their clubhouse. They left their clubhouse to go on their individual missions. But they gathered near a police station. Uh, Not really sure why, but okay. Dude goes in and turns himself into the police and says he is Mr. X. And they're they're all exclaiming, "What? You know, he was so close. I can't believe it." And he tells them, "Yes, gentlemen, I am Mr. X. Just when I had a good living set for myself with income from all organized crime, you all had to come along and smash my rackets. You've taken my livelihood away. So now I'm going to jail and live off the state. Good day, gentlemen." And that's where the that's where the story ends. So, there we go. All right, a couple more thank yous here to give out. Uh, The first one goes to Dale Russell, who left some comments on the Google Plus page. He said, good podcast. I just found it through Fire and Water. I'm mainlining your show from the first. Listen to 1 through 10 yesterday. I'm a big fan of Dr. Fate and really enjoying the show. Thanks. And then the next day. He says, I'm now through episode 22. Great going so far. You should take a couple of minutes at the end of the podcast to give your review opinion of the book. I, um, I kind of thought that's what I, I did as I talked about it, maybe not in a coherent fashion. So, with that advice in mind, All-Star Comics uh, number 5 was, as the previous couple issues of All-Star Comics have been, as I am sure the remainder of the All-Star comic stay will be, although I imagine in later issues they probably start using more heroes in the inner stories rather than breaking it out and having each hero do their own individual thing. I don't know for sure, but I suspect that that's what will happen as as comic writing develops. Uh, I do like that right now, if you're a fan of a particular hero, you can open up this book, read the beginning and ending frame, and then read just your hero's piece. Because really, the other hero's pieces don't add anything overall to the story, just to that particular hero's mythos. So they're, they're really, uh, it's almost like an anthology book, six to eight page stories for each hero. And, and it's, it's its own thing. Um, the writing is very uh, lively and... Um, uh, just a lot more fun, not quite as grim and gritty as it is now, although uh, sometimes these heroes get pretty nasty. Uh, Dr. Fate and Spectre, in particular, in their individual stories in uh, more fun comics, they, they get pretty pretty dour with how they handle, how they deal with a lot of these bad guys. 
I, I like it. Um, you you really have to have a a certain understanding to be able to enjoy. I think gold, golden age comics. Definitely keep in mind where things were in the 30s and 40s and 50s when these books were coming out. I mean, you have to because they just do not have the same feel as our our current stories. Not even stories from say the 70s and 80s, the Bronze Age, which are my uh, my personal favorite stories, nor, of course, the Silver Age. That's why these periods in comics have these different names, because the the books just have different feels. The the stories have different feels. Even though it might be the same character, they they just operated in a different way, and, and the things that they found themselves involved in are had different feels to them throughout the Gold, Silver, and Bronze Age. Uh, next up... We have a Facebook comment from a gentleman who I'm, I'm not really comfortable giving out his name, but he is widely known by the nom de plume of the irredeemable shag. Uh, he says, enjoyed this episode. This was on episode, let's see, 29. He says, one comment, uh, again, about the Spear of Destiny. If memory serves, it didn't make heroes powerless. I believe if superpowered folks, especially magical ones, came too close to the spear, they fell under its influence and could be controlled by Hitler. As we heard from, let's see, who was that? From last issue, and that was Kyle Benning that was talking to us about that. So it was worse than being powerless. They'd end up working for the Nazis with all their powers if they came too close to Germany. I believe this was introduced in All-Star Squadron, which also a very good memory. Um, Mr. Matthews and, excuse me, uh, irredeemable shag, I mean, and Mr. Benning. So thanks a lot for that feedback, guys. Really appreciate it. Next episode, episode 39, hopefully have a chance to sit down and go over some Dr. Fate current volume issue 2. I'll talk to you guys then. Ciao. Lords of Order is a Teal production, and as such is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, non-derivative 3.0 unported license.